0: As, as Sam mentioned, uh, I do a lot to help with uh, our mission efforts internationally at the church and uh, not shared anything with you guys in a while. And I'm not going to give a big missions update today. Uh, I did want to just tell you about a couple of things before we continue on in the book of John. Uh, and, and just so you know, we'll again be in John chapter 18, which is where we were at last week. If you want to go ahead and be turning there. Uh, or going there in your phone or whatever you have. Um, if you're new to the church, you might not be aware. We do a lot of work in uh, Haiti and in the Ivory coast. And, uh, we do some things in other places too, but those are the big two countries that we focused on for quite a while now. Man, we're going on, gosh, over a decade of working in Haiti, or right at about a decade of working in Haiti. Um, We do different things there, including partnering with uh, an organization called the Freedom House, uh, which uh, is kind of turning into this family empowerment center. It's been kind of a traditional orphanage, but it's transitioning into a family empowerment center. Uh, The kids, the staff, the folks there are doing an incredible thing, an incredible work, and uh, they're doing great right now. Uh, Also, you may not be aware, but we help support a family from this church, uh, Daniel and Natalie Abercrombie, They're two kids who live in Haiti and they run a clinic there. Uh, And finally, we help uh, support an organization called Simple Church Ministries, um, which is a disciple-making movement that's taking place of over a thousand, uh, basically like house churches that are meeting all over the country of Haiti. And before I tell you about uh, Ivory Coast, I wanted to give you a quick update on Haiti. You know, Haiti doesn't often make the news, and when it does, it's something really, really bad, like an earthquake that kills tens of thousands of people, which happened in 2010. But uh, but it's always really kind of rough there. And they are going through a very, very difficult political season right now. And I just wanted to mention that to you guys, because, you know, if you get a chance, go, you know, the Miami Herald's a good place to check out news here about Haiti in the United States on the United States side. Go there and just keep up with what's going on, because, like I said, we we, we have a lot of friends in Haiti and it is rough Politically, there right now, a lot of violence. Um, gosh, the, the, Our issues that we have with uh, you know police officers and stuff like that over the last couple of years, and some of the things politically in the United States that have happened, really can't hardly compare to what's happening with those same situations in Haiti right now. And so I just say all that to say, will you guys be just praying for for the country of Haiti, for the Abercrombie family, for our, our simple church leaders, for the kids of the Freedom House? Uh, they are really having to wade through some difficult waters right now. And I also just wanted to say a brief word about the Ivory Coast. Uh, Again, if if you're not aware, we've been working there for uh, six or seven years now. Uh, We have four unreached people groups that we're working with. And what that means are there are whole people groups that are comprised of a certain culture, a language, um, and that are predominantly Muslim um, in which there are hardly any, if any, churches at all. And we simply identify persons of peace and allow people the opportunity to discover Jesus for themselves. And there are now literally hundreds and hundreds of groups that have formed and disciples that have been made among those unreached people groups. And it's really incredible what what God's doing. And, And here's the really cool thing. COVID like hasn't slowed it down. So in a lot of church cultures around the world, um, it's been really tough for the church. Uh, It's been kind of tough for our church, although God's brought us through and and, you know he's still bringing us through that. But man, these disciple making movements among these unreached people groups have only grown and flourished. And a really cool update, we are about to start a work here in just the next couple of months in Mali. And what's so neat about that is some of our leaders from Cote d'Ivoire or the Ivory Coast are the ones that are helping to catalyze that one country up. So the Ivory Coast is in West, Africa and just to the north of them is the country of Mali we've identified an unreached people group that we're going to start working with there and so just want to give you a quick update about what God's doing we're really just uh, so excited about what's happening and just want to continue to thank this church for for your support for uh, international mission work so thanks I'm going to pray and we'll jump into the scripture here Lord Jesus we thank you very much for this time thank you for this room in which we can come together to celebrate you and celebrate what you're doing in the good times and the difficult times you're on the throne and we can have a great confidence um knowing that and so thank you lord and i pray as we uh, continue to look through this gospel of john that you would continue to just draw out truth that we can apply to our lives father i pray that you would help us not to be mere hearers of the word uh but but to be doers to put it into practice And so help us in the next few minutes as we study this together in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Hey, look, Sharon preached out of this exact same text last week and I like it so much. I thought, man, let's just do it again. Uh, And so instead of going to the next part of the book of John in chapter 18, we're going to stick to the same 12 verses that we talked about last week, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. All right. So last week, uh, Sharon talked a lot about uh, violence, Um, not normally what Sharon talks about, but that's what she talked about last week, and so if you missed that sermon, you need to check it out. It was great, Um, but we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective today, so let me read through this text. It says, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples, The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. And Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I'm he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. And then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave, but Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, the commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. Now we're going to talk about several characters in this story today, and I'll go ahead and tell you ahead of time where we're going. We're going to look at three questions. One question that Jesus asks in this text, and a couple of questions that I think he would like for us to consider asking as we uh, as we study this scripture and try to apply it to our lives. So we're going to look at a lot of questions today and a few of these characters. Uh, we're going to look a lot at Peter here in a few minutes, but not right at the beginning. But but here's one more instance of of Peter acting rashly. If you spent any time in the Gospels at all, you know this is kind of like what Peter does. He, he, he acts a fool all the time, right? And here's one more instance of him acting rashly, just like for example, when he got out of the boat, if you remember that story, to, he wanted to walk on the water like Jesus. Do you guys remember that one? And then he saw the wind and the waves around him, and he took his eyes off Jesus, and he starts sinking. Uh, and and here's another story kind of like that, only this time the, the waves were Roman soldiers, and Peter's kind of fight or flight alarm went off with like these legendary overtones, and he, he chops a dude's, ears, uh, 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 dude's ear off. You know, that's a, that's a bit of rash acting. Um, and so we're going to... Focus on Peter here in a few more minutes, but have you ever been there kind of like overwhelmed with this, the the daunting circumstances around you or with the challenges that you're facing? You know, this was an extreme situation that Peter gets thrown into. And we all are like, oh, there goes Peter again, doing what he does. But, man, when you're thrown into certain situations, you never know what you're going to do. So I'll give you an example from my life. I told uh, David this as we were recording this sermon. I was like, man, I'm going to tell you a story, David, that might make you want to move back to Arizona. It's a good old East Tennessee story, all right? All right. Uh, true story, and it happened just a few miles from where we're sitting right now. I was in high school, William Blunt High School, you know, cliques form, and I was a part of this group of guys that, you know, we all hung out, we did our thing, and I was staying the night at one of my friends' house, uh, and, and we had a good time, we stayed up late, watched some movies or whatever, and it was the middle of the night. I'm talking like two in the morning or something like that, and we got a call from one of our buddies that was in the kind of group of guys we hung out with. And he was like, yo, you guys got to get out here. It's about to go down. And we were like, what are you talking about? Well, there was this beef between this group of guys that I hung out with and this other group of guys. And sure enough, it was over a girl and two mobs were forming in rural East Tennessee to just throw down. Now, I'm a pretty sheltered preacher's kid. I've never really been in a fight except for a few little pushes here and there at this point. I'm like a junior in high school or something like that. Uh, I'm pretty sheltered. And so I I was like, oh, well, yeah, sure, let's go. And so me and my buddy get in the car. We go. We show up in a Wiggles parking lot because that's where you meet when things are about to go down. And one of my friends opens up the trunk of his car, and there's like an arsenal in the back of it. I'm talking... This is, this is for real. Sawed-off baseball bats. Didn't know that was a thing. Brass knuckles. Never heard of them. All kinds of stuff like that. I am not joking. And they were like, choose your weapon. And I said, oh, oh well, kind of like that, that's what I said. Uh, I just made a noise. But I calmly chose the weapon. We all get in several different trucks because it's East Tennessee, right? And we go to the fight spot, which is this guy's house, I won't tell you the name of the guy. It was a very stereotypical East Tennessee name. And we roll up, and there are all these guys. Some of them are sitting up on the roof. I'm not making this up. Sitting on the roof of the house, on the front porch. They all got their weapons. And I'm like, holy cow, this is the worst day of my life. And all of a sudden, this one guy gets a gun out, shoots it up in the air, and everybody, get out of here. And everybody just scrambles, and it's chaos. A few guys kind of get in a tussle. We're all a bunch of wusses. And so we, in our truck, like, try to take off as fast as we can, and the tires start spinning out. It had been raining that night, and we couldn't move. And a guy with a gun comes and puts a gun in the driver's face and says, you better get this thing out of there. And me and these other guys got out of the truck, and I mean like, you know, superhuman strength came over us because of panic, and we lifted the truck out, we got out of there, we all went home, and we thought, what just happened? Now you guys probably think, if you just moved to East Tennessee, you're thinking, we are homeschooling, okay? (laughs) That's what you're thinking right now. That all happened. Now that sounds crazy. I'm telling you, it was a true story. And here you had a bunch of young idiots that were placed in this ridiculous scenario. They lost sight of who they were for a few minutes. And it was by the grace of God that something really, really bad didn't happen that night. Um... Anytime like Peter or like us when I was in high school, anytime we lose sight of Jesus and of who we are in him, we tend to make decisions we regret and often people get hurt, especially when we're thrown into chaotic situations. And if you've lived life for more than a minute, you know that chaotic, maybe not like brass knuckle, sawed off baseball bat type situations, but all of us get thrown in situations when the junk hits the fan and we've got to make decisions and often we act a fool. It happens more than once in life. It's probably happened to you several times already you know this this uh happened not only to Peter in this story but to Judas, who obviously took his eyes off of who Jesus was and and thus made a a rash, crazy decision. And and, and it didn't just happen to Peter. We're going to get to him in a minute. But did you catch who it was in this story that we read that empowered the ruling government to back Judas in order to capture Jesus? Listen again in verse three. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and and, and temple guards to accompany him and now with blazing torches, lanterns, sawed off baseball bats and no we don't know what kind of weapons they had but they had weapons and they arrived at the olive grove so did you did you catch who gave Judas the contingent of Roman soldiers it was the pharisees and the leading priests it was the religious folk it was it was the good religious people right the very people that should have had the correct perspective of who Jesus was who should have recognized this coming Messiah had not only missed him, but they had sought out the very soldiers that were oppressing him, uh, that were oppressing them in order to, to, to snuff Jesus out. It was the religious people. And it was at this moment that Jesus asked this first massive question that I want to bring up today. And I believe it's a question each of us needs to address today as well. In verse four, Jesus Asked the question, it says, Jesus fully realized all that was gonna happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. It's a big question. Who are you looking for? You know, notice he asked this question to the, the, the followers of God, these Pharisees, these religious people, and to the pagan Roman soldiers. They all got asked this question. Who are you looking for? And just so, he, he, he asked the good church folks that are in here today, and he asks those of you who may be here that are unsure of what to do with this Jesus guy, he asks the question to all of us today, just like he did to those people a couple thousand years ago, who are you looking for? Because some of us are numb in our religion, and Jesus would say to you, why'd you show up today? Who are you looking for? Maybe you're unsure about Jesus, and he's asking you the same question as well. Who are you looking for? So who are you looking for? What kind of person were you seeking when you came here today? Who is this Jesus? You know, perhaps as in this story and the story that I told from my high school days, you find yourself in like this chaotic or confusing season. Maybe that's how you rolled in here today. Um, Maybe a a confusing season of life. And you entered the scene of this room, this space today on this random Sunday in March. And what if just as Jesus asked those folks a couple thousand years ago, he asked you right now in this moment, who are you looking for? In the next couple of verses, Jesus makes himself known in a really powerful way. So verse five says this. In response to his question, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And as Jesus said, he, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Now, this is really interesting. In the original Greek that this was written in, Jesus didn't actually say, I am he, but literally he said, I am now, if you've been, again, in church for a while, that might sound familiar from the Old Testament, from back in Exodus chapter 3, this is the name that God uh, revealed as himself, it was the name that he revealed to Moses when Moses said, who are you? And, and God, famously out of the burning bush, right, says, I am, or I am that I am. Yahweh is the Hebrew translation, I am, and that's what Jesus said in this verse. Have you ever read this before in the Gospel of John and thought, ooh, that's really cool, this like little Jedi trick that Jesus just did. but it's uh, there, there's no question who was really in charge in this chaotic scene, right? The the junk's going down, everything's crazy, it's chaotic. Peter's about to act a fool in just a second, but there's no question who is in charge here uh, because uh, if you've ever wondered why these big, strong soldiers got knocked on their keisters in this story, it's because of the force of the revelation of Jesus as God in the flesh. Jesus right there just laid the smack down because he said, I am, meaning I am God. They asked who he was and he just, flat out gave it to him, and it was so powerful it knocked them to their butts. <laughs> There's no question who was really in charge here. Jesus didn't have to go with these knuckleheads, right? He chose to. And we get a, a brief hint at why he chose to in the next three verses. Check out verse seven. Once more, he asked them, who were you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, And since I'm the one you want, let these others go. And he did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. You see, Jesus showed what he was willing to do for the world by first demonstrating his love for his disciples by shielding them from these soldiers right here. He was fully in charge. As we just saw, he could have easily cleaned up shop with the mere sound of his voice, but he allowed them to take him instead of his disciples, to be mocked and tortured and brutally murdered instead of them. He went in their place. He went in our place. He went in my place. He went in your place. And now let's look to Peter and look at the last few verses of our text here. It says in verse 10, then Simon Peter drew a sword and he slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its sheath shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the father's given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. And, and look, Peter is, is like so many followers of Jesus here because he, again, he lost sight of the bigger picture, the bigger narrative that God is doing. And he tried to take matters into his own hands. And for Peter here, it was violence. What's it like for the rest of us? When, when, when the junk goes down, what do we do? How do we react? Is it just to give up? Is it to lash out? For Peter, it was to lash out. What's it like for us? Peter rashly chopped off a dude's ear thinking that Jesus really needed him. You know, when just prior to this, Jesus had uttered the words, I am, and this whole contingent of Roman soldiers had been knocked on their tails, right? And and we aren't meant to fight God's battles for him, but what does this mean for us as individuals? What does this mean for us as a church? I don't think it means we do nothing. You know, Peter obviously didn't do the right thing, but at least he did something. I don't think it means just quit, just give up, just don't do anything. When life gets hard, just shut down. I don't think that's the answer, but rather I think it means we stop, we listen, and we observe what it is God is doing. Let me explain why. Because to the world, what Peter did here made sense to some degree, right? He was, he was standing up for his boy. That's what, that's what he felt like he needed to do. But if he had observed Jesus for just, listen, for one minute in the three years that he'd been hanging out with him, he would have known that Jesus wasn't about anything remotely resembling chopping a dude's ears off. See, the problem was he'd lost sight of the bigger narrative because of the crazy chaotic scene around him. And this happens to us. We lose sight of the narrative, we forget whose we are, and we act a fool. Happens all the time. I don't know what happens to me the most these days, parenting. For real. I'm not, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm half joking. I mean, you know, I don't think there's a week that goes by when I don't do something that I regret as a parent. I don't think there's a day that goes by and I'm just like, what did I do that? And I tell you nine times out of 10, I really think it's, it's that I, I don't want to oversimplify this. I just think it's true. I think it's because I took my eyes off Jesus. I really do. You know, you, maybe you keep having these problems over and over and over and over again at work and you wonder why. Just ask yourself a question. Uh, who was I looking for when I came in today? Who was I looking for? When we take our eyes off Jesus, we do crazy things just like Peter. It may not be chopping an ear off. Sometimes it's worse. It's Sometimes, how many of you know that sometimes a word you say to somebody is worse than chopping their ear off? And so, here are two powerful, I told you three questions today. The first question was from Jesus. Who are you looking for? Here's two more powerful questions that I want to just challenge us with. And here in a few minutes, when we go into our time of Selah, we're just a few minutes away from that. Um, we're going to really reflect on these questions because if you hear nothing else I say today, I hope you can take these two questions with you. They're they're powerful questions. Um, they're they're, uh, they're questions that would have saved Peter a lot of grief and embarrassment. And I would I would venture to say that it would save us a lot of grief and embarrassment as well. Here are the questions. First, God, what are you doing? I mean, if, if Peter had just paused for a second and asked a question like that, God, what are you doing here? I just wonder if his reaction would have been differently. I wonder if I stopped in, in, in my futile way of parenting and just stopped for a minute and asked the question, God, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What might happen? We'll come back to that question in a second. Here's the second question. God, how can I join you in that? What if Peter in that moment had said, God, what are you doing here, and how can I join you in that? What have you taken the time? Now, granted, the situation was escalating rapidly. Nevertheless, to pause, and guys, I would just challenge you to do this throughout your day. Those two questions are powerful. God, what are you doing, and how can I join you in that? Great questions. But before we can ask him those questions, we have to wrestle with the question that he asks in this text, which is, who are you looking for? And you know, guys, recognition, idea of being known is a powerful, powerful thing. I was especially reminded of this on the last day of the infamous year of 2020, because that was the day before my grandfather died. And I'd got to spend quite a bit of time with him. This is my dad's dad. Um, he was just ate up with cancer. He was in really bad shape. And so the family kind of had rallied and we were taking turns spending the night at his house so that he could pass in his own home. And we knew the time was coming really soon. Um, and he, was all, he was barely even able to communicate at that point. He could kind of nod his head a little bit and if he was even able to be awake at all. And we just knew any second he could go. And so I got my two kids and they're 10 and eight years old and brought them over to the house. And it was just so beautiful because several of the family members gathered around Around him more than once, and we got to pray over him. This was a guy that followed Jesus his, his whole life. We got to pray over him. We sang songs over him. We, we sang his favorite hymn, which is, "Great Is Thy Faithfulness," um, which was beautiful. Man, you, those, those are moments you'll never forget. And, um, but my kids had not been there. So I, we got there with the, the kids They came in. I prepped them for it. Kids, this is probably the last time you're going to see Papaw. And we came into the room and, and they were ready and they did so good, man. I don't know how I would have acted at that age, but they both loved him so much. And, and he loved them so much. He especially had an affinity for, 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 for my daughter, Ellie, who's 10. And he had not been communicating with anybody for several, uh, hours, a couple of days even. And so I told him, Hey, he's probably not going to acknowledge you and it's okay. But she came up to him and, and Ellie walked right up to the foot of his bed and he was sloughed over like this. And, you know, I mean, just completely undignified as you would be in that situation. And she said, well, hey, Papa. And, he, and I kid you not, this is what he did. He went, well, hey, honey. I mean, just like that. It, and we were all like, oh, God. You know, and it was this incredible moment that my daughter will never forget. And being known is a powerful, powerful thing. Being recognized and trying to answer Jesus's question of who are you looking for, that might be really frustrating for you today. You you hear that question, you might be like, okay, I, I don't know what to do with that question. Maybe life's so crazy for you right now, you have far more questions than answers. And the honest answer to Jesus's question of who are you looking for is I don't know. I don't know. And can I give you some really good news today? That's okay, because he knows you. He knows you intimately. And just as my grandfather lit up at the side of his his great-granddaughter, God lights up when he sees you Kind of like, well, hey, honey. (laughs) The most intimate recognition you can imagine. When we begin to be known and to realize that we're known, we can move on to the questions that give life direction and keep us from things like brass knuckles and chopping people's ears off. All the foolish things we do when we forget whose child we are. Questions like, God, what are you doing? And how can I join you in that? you're known, you're seen, beginning to believe that opens up a world of possibilities to us as as believers in Jesus, even in a world gone mad, even in the swirling chaos of our everyday lives. And so I wanna reflect on these questions. I'm gonna ask David to come on up and we're gonna do Selah and and then eventually communion, but we're gonna camp out with these questions for just a couple of minutes. Um, So I'm just gonna, Kind of do some imaginative stuff. We do that every once in a while here. It might be kind of weird for some of you if you're not used to that, but just kind of put ourselves in a, in a scene or a scenario and just see what the Lord might say to us as we go through these questions together. So feel free to take whatever posture you want. I'd encourage you to maybe just close your eyes and, and uh, go into just a, a time of reflection. We have a time of Selah every week, which is when we reflect in, on, on what we've just studied together. But if Jesus was just sitting right in front of you right now, maybe there were two chairs in a room and you were facing each other and he, he just asked you the question, who are you looking for? Where are you at right now? And I'm just gonna be quiet. for You're gonna have time. i want to give you several, you know, a moment, or, a moment or two here. If Jesus right now asked you that question, who are you looking for? Feel free to just be as raw and honest in answering that as you'd like. Who are you looking for? just if you want to keep your head bowed there I'm not very quick to speak on behalf of God but I think I can say this with confidence as you just continue to imagine being there in a room with Jesus no matter what your answer was to his question I think he would just want to say over you right now I knew exactly who I was looking for when I came in this room And I see you. I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. And I love you anyway. In fact, I love you more than you can imagine. It's a simple word, but I think it might be for somebody in here, maybe more than one of us today. Jesus just saying, I see you. I see your circumstances. I know you. I love you. A couple more questions that I just would love for you to reflect on for a couple of minutes here. Wherever you're at in life right now, here are two great questions to ask in response to Jesus' question to you. What are you doing? God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing around me? Give me eyes to see, what are you doing? And secondly, how can I join you in that? Because you see, when we realize and recognize that we're known, those two questions become incredibly important. God, what are you doing and how can I join you in that? Let's just reflect on that for a minute. Maybe you can just have a dialogue with Jesus in that same room that you're imagining. Jesus, what are you doing and how can I join you in that? And Lord, as we get ready to take of communion, recognizing that you paid the ultimate price for us, that you lived the life we couldn't live, live, that you died the death that we deserve and that you rose again. And because you live, we can live. We thank you for your body, which was broken for us and your blood that was poured out for us. Lord, we just want to continue with these questions, both now and as we leave the building here in a few minutes, what are you doing, God? On behalf of our church, we ask that question, what are you doing? And how can we join you in that? So Lord, may these questions go with us today. I just pray that you keep these questions on the forefront of our minds, help these families that are here today to maybe dialogue with each other about what it is that you might want to say to us as we wrestle with these questions.